0: welcome to our wednesday night bible study i'm pastor mike brunzo with faith fellowship church coming to you as usual from my home in taylorsville kentucky hopefully we'll be having live services real soon at the church itself on a wednesday night i want to get right into the word tonight because i think it might go a little bit over 30 minutes i can't make any promises but i'm gonna preach it till it's done is that all right Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Give you glory and honor. Thank you for the word that's about to come forth. God, I ask you to help me to preach it with boldness, with simplicity, with clarity, with accuracy. And I ask that you'd give the people eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that can believe and receive. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us revelation and increasing our knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles open to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, starting with the second verse, verse 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to read down through the fourth verse. I'll be reading in the King James Version, at least starting out. Paul is talking to Timothy here, and he's saying, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not being at least once in a while uh, reproved or corrected by your pastors or your teachers or your bishops or your priest or whatever it is that you call your leader, if you're not being rebuked or corrected or reprimanded, scolded, raked over the coals, taken to the task or berated, read the riot act once in a while and taught sound doctrine from the word, then you're not hearing the truth of God's word. You are not hearing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it will step on your toes at time. And that's how we grow. And in verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And then in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, in the Amplified Classified, it says it like this. For the time is coming when people will not tolerate, endure, sound, and wholesome instruction. But having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number, chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the heirs they hold, and will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions." And it's because of this reason right here that Christians aren't growing spiritually like they should. It's for this reason that there's so much instability in the church, people leaving good churches and claiming that they just couldn't grow at the church they were going to. And they blame their lack of spiritual growth and, uh, on everything but the right thing. They have all kinds of reasons why they're not growing, and not one of those reasons points to them. They blamed their lukewarmness on the pastors or their teachers. Uh, well, we had to leave that church because we just weren't getting fed. And when, in all actuality, they left because they weren't getting their ears scratched. They weren't getting their ears tickled. They left because they weren't hearing what they wanted to hear, but they were hearing the truth. And it's people like this that open themselves to, the, to deception. It's people like this that will believe a lie rather than the truth because the truth doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't tell them what they want to hear. And so they go hopping from one church to another, from one person to another, telling their story until they finally find someone that will tell them what they want to hear and scratch their itching ears. And when the disciples asked Jesus, what would be the sign of your coming? and the end of the age, Jesus started out by saying in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, he said, be careful that no one misleads you, deceiving and leading you into error. For many will come in my name, misusing it and appropriating the strength of the name which belongs to me, saying, I am the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, and they will mislead many, And then he continues to give more signs uh, down through the uh, rest of the the chapter. But then let's skip down to verse 23 through 25. And then he says, If any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall, shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. According to the Bible, Jesus, the apostle Paul, and Peter all prophesied that the the, the society living in the end times as a whole would be deceived on a massive scale. Deception happens when you reject truth and allow yourself to embrace a lie. That's when you open yourself up deception. As long as you're walking in truth, you're receiving the truth, you're accepting the truth, you're obeying the truth, you will not get deceived and you will never walk in deception. I mean, look at our uh, society today. Lying and deception are pretty much the norm. Uh, Lies and deception by high-ranking government officials. Lies and deception in the corporate world. Lies and deceptions in marketing and sales. Lies and deception in the courts of our lands. Lies and deception in our so-called institutes of higher learning. Lies and deception in the media, news media, with no integrity and no accountability. Lies and deceptions on job applications. Lies and deceptions on applications for government benefits. And the list goes on and on. We see lies and deception almost everywhere we look. But God help us if the church is involved in that type of deception. Jesus' disciples had specifically asked him at the beginning of chapter uh, 23, What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Uh, Chapter 24, that was. And in response, Jesus identified a list of the exact signs that would indicate the very end of the age and his imminent return. Out of all the signs that he gave, the very first sign that Jesus gave contained a clear warning on a wide scale deception that would emerge in the last days and the need for people to prepare and guard against it. And the only way to prepare and guard against this deception is to get in the word, get into the truth of the word, believe the word, walk in the word, walk in the spirit. And then Jesus said, take heed. In other words, pay attention, be careful that no man deceive you. And so Jesus warns us that towards the end of the last days, which we're living in right now, a massive deception would attempt to overtake every part of society. And this is exactly what we're seeing. If you can't see that, then it's a good sign that you're already deceived. And I would love to show you exactly what I'm talking about. I could. I could name names. I could show you exactly what I'm talking about. But I'd probably be off the air in about five seconds. And I do want to get this message out tonight. In our opening scripture, the word deceive means to lead astray or to wander off course. It describes individuals as well as entire nations that have departed from the standards of morality that they once held. Rick Renner in his book, Sparkling Gems in the Greek Language, uh, describes the word deceit as depicting a person or nation who, although once established on solid ground, is now morally drifting and teetering on the edge of a crooked and dangerous path. Man, our country right now is teetering on the edge of a crooked and dangerous path. People have lost their moral compass. They've lost their direction and they've drifted way off track. They have departed from this, the moral truths that this once, this country once believed and embraced and stood upon. And of all the signs of the Lord's return, one of the more prominent signs is this deception of the last days. He made that clear. That was the first thing he listed. And this kind of deception is widely attributed to the activity of evil spirits, that would work intensely in the earth in the last days days to deceive as many people as they can possibly deceive because the devil knows that he has but a short time. And just like God is working diligently and hard to save as many people as he possibly can, the devil is working just as hard to deceive and send to hell as many people as he can. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 through 12, It says, The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all powers, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This unrighteousness is something that they want to do. They take pleasure in it. And I know it sounds strange that God would send a strong delusion to cause somebody to believe a lie, but that's not exactly what it means. It actually means that he will allow a strong delusion to deceive many and have them to believe a lie. You know, the devil is using every cunning and wicked practice that unrighteous men and demons can produce in order to deceive everyone who rejects the truth. It's like I said earlier, you cannot be deceived unless you reject the truth. You cannot be deceived as long as you're willingly walking in the truth. You've accepted the truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ because he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So they refuse the truth, and this is the reason God will permit or allow such a strong delusion to cause them to believe the lie. If someone is determined to go to hell, there is nothing further that God can do to rescue them. There's nothing I could do. There's nothing you can do. If they're already uh, uh, intending to do that and they're doing it purposely and they're walking in un- unrighteousness because it's pleasing to them, there's nothing you can do. God will not violate their will. He will not force them to do any anything no more than he can force you to do anything. Verse 11 says, God shall send them or allow strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Well, we know it's not God's will that anyone should perish. He said that, but that all should come to repentance. So why would God send or even allow a strong delusion? Well, let's, let's look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 2.13-16. 2, I'll read this in the New Living Translation. Peter is speaking about false teachers that have infiltrated the early church. And he said in the latter part of verse 12, they scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. I mean, if you live like an animal, act like an animal, treat people like you're an animal, then you'll be destroyed like an animal. And then in verse 13, it says, their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. That's a really interesting story. We're going to talk about it tonight, too. Uh, You'll find that in Numbers 22, 23, 24. But Balaam was one of the many prophets that was dispersed into the world by God to tell of God's goodness and to tell people and make God known. But Balaam became unfaithful and he used his gift for personal gain. You know how many people that God anoints, especially in the area of, of music, or he'll anoint them with uh Uh, the gift of organization, or the gift of uh, oratory oratory skills, or whatever it is that God anoints them with, and then they become unfaithful, turn their back on God, and they take that talent, that anointing to the world, and they use it to make money. Now, God doesn't take his gifts back. The, The gifts and callings of God are without repentance, the Bible says. So in other words, if God anoints you, if God gives you a gift, it's yours. And he'll allow you to use it any way that you want. And unfortunately, a lot of people like Balaam become unfaithful and start using it for personal gain in the world. But, you know, Balaam uh, was using his gift for personal gain like that of one who practices divination, uh, which is an occult practice. He blessed or cursed people, but he did it for a price. And when Israel was conquering the promised land, they were coming close to Moab. So King Balak of Moab was getting nervous because he heard how Israel conquered everything in their path and conquered all the nations before them. So King Balak called on the services of Balaam, who had a, a, a reputation for powerful di- divination. Uh, usually when Balaam pronounced a blessing or a curse, it worked. And so King Balak wanted Balaam to put a curse on the Israelites so as to stop their progress and keep them from conquering his land. So Balaam, by the powers granted to him by God, had the opportunity here to demonstrate the power of the one true God against the deception of the Moab false gods and idols. Uh, in other words, he had an opportunity here to preach to an entire nation, possibly get an entire nation saved and turned to the Lord. God didn't want to destroy him. God wanted to spare him. And if they would have repented and turned to God, he would have spared Moab. But uh, because Balaam had these unselfish uh, concerns and was just looking to earn money, he didn't do that. And rather than consider cursing the Israelites, uh, ba- uh, Balaam... Rather than preaching the gospel to him or preaching the word to him, he would rather go to God and ask God if it would be all right for him to curse Israel. Now, what do you think God's answer would be to Balaam? I mean, uh, he was deceived and he let God down. He disappointed God by not preaching the gospel to to, uh, Moab. But Balaam was too easily led away from God's truth into error, and he in turn led many others astray. Let me tell you something. If you're in a position of authority, pastors, if you're in a position of authority, church leaders and parents, no matter who it is, if you're in a position of authority and you have a sphere of influence, the decisions you make affect those under you. If you're a parent and you decide not to follow God, then there's a good chance that your children will make the same decision and they won't follow God. And that's going to be on your head. It's the same thing with pastors and leaders. I don't care what you call yourself, what your title is. If you have influence over God's people, you better be teaching them the right stuff. And you better start getting bolder than the devil is in these last days because he's as bold as he could be. And he's speaking and taking people to hell as fast as he can. And we have to speak bolder and be quicker than him and take more people to heaven than he's taking to hell. And if we don't, God is going to hold us accountable for everyone that we had the possibility to influence. But anyway... King King Balak wanted Balaam to put a curse on the Israelites. And so Balaam, being easily led astray, uh, instead of giving the counsel of God like he should have, he taught the, the people of Israel to practice idolatry and to commit fornication. You know, Balaam loved the world and material things more than he loved the truth. And King Balak offered Balaam untold fame and fortune if he would return to Moab with him, uh, stand on a mountain and look over the Israelites and curse them. And so Balaam knew God wouldn't allow it, but he went to God and inquired of it anyway concerning what King Balak wanted him to do. And God told him in no uncertain words. He said, no, you are not to go with him. I mean, it don't get no plainer than that. God, can I go with King Balak and curse Israel so that they don't conquer the land of Moab? And God said, God said, no, you are not to go with them. So Balaam went back to the old king and told him what God said. And that wasn't what the king wanted to hear. See, the king had itching ears and he didn't want to hear that. It didn't scratch his itching ears. And Balaam told the king he could only speak the words of God and nothing more. But for all Balaam's talk about speaking only what God put into his mouth, he was wishing all along that he could curse the children of Israel for the generous wages and the rewards and the position that King Balak had promised him. And according to Peter, instead of loving righteousness, Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam knew what pleased the Lord, but what pleased the Lord did not please Balaam. So the devil, I mean King Balak, came to Balaam again, but this time with an even more generous offer if he would curse Israel. Now, what do you think Balaam's answer should be in view of everything that has already happened? He should have rebuked King Balaam and says, look, I done went to God and God said, no, do not go with you. That's the end of the story. But that's not what Balaam did. He went to God a second time to see what God had to say more. In other words, maybe God would change his mind. And so he thought he could manipulate the truth of God's word for what he wanted. In other words, he didn't want the truth. He wanted his itching ears scratched with the answer that he wanted to hear. But anyway, even though it wasn't God's will, God eventually did allow Balaam to go with King Balak, but he told him to tell the king only what I tell you to say, nothing more, nothing less. Now, here's my point, and I believe this to be the answer as to why God was sending strong delusion to someone that they would believe a lie. Balaam rejected or just flat out refused the truth. That's why he went to God a second time. And this is the reason God will permit a strong delusion. In other words, if someone is determined to do something, even though they know it's not God's will, even though they know it's against the truth of God's word, there's really nothing else God can do to change their minds. He just has to let that situation run its course. But Balaam kept going along with Balak's repeated attempts to get a a curse from God upon the Israelites because like Balak, he hoped that maybe somehow God could be pressured into changing his mind. And we see it all the time today. I don't like what this pastor said, even though it's the truth. So I'm going to ask another pastor, and I'm going to ask a friend, and I'm going to ask this person. He really studies the Bible. And I'm going to keep asking and asking until I finally hear what I want to hear. In other words, I'm going to keep asking and searching until my itching ears get scratched. God, however, refused to listen to Balaam's reasoning, and he was angry with him for not rejecting Balaam's proposal outright, not only from the very first time, but also from especially the second time. And then there was also a third time. But now let me show you just how strong deception can be. God made the truth very clear to Balaam, just like he makes the truth clear to you and I. And uh, he said, no, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people. Why? Because they're blessed. You cannot curse something that that God has blessed, and you can't bless something that God has cursed. It's fruitless to even try that. And even after Balaam went, God gave him an unmistakable sign that he wasn't pleased with his decision to go. He had an angel block Balaam's path. As a matter of fact, he said it was the angel of the Lord, which is His own son, Jesus Christ, it was a theophany of Jesus Christ. That's who the angel of the Lord is. And so he sends him and he blocks Balaam's path. But Balaam was so deceived that he couldn't see him. He couldn't see truth. And so, uh, but Balaam's donkey saw the angel and the angel was standing in in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey tried to avoid him, not once, but twice. He ran off the road, but both times Balaam beat the donkey back onto the road and forced him to keep going against his will. And the angel kept going ahead of Balaam, trying to give Balaam space to repent, just like God does us, because that angel was judgment. And before God judges us, he gives us space to repent, space to repent. The last thing God wants to do is judge us. He would rather we repent, uh, concede to the truth, open our eyes that had been blinded and deceived, and get back on the right track again. But finally, the angel of the Lord came to a place too narrow for the donkey to get by. And this time when the donkey saw the angel, knowing that he couldn't get around him, it lay down under Balaam. So Balaam beats the animal again with his staff, and the donkey turns to Balaam and said, what have I done to you that deserves your beating me these three times? And Balaam, he said, you have made me look like a fool. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. And you know, people think it's strange that the donkey talked with a human voice. But I'll tell you something even more strange than that was Balaam arguing with the donkey. But anyway, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with his sword in his hand. And Balaam bowed his head and fell down on the ground before him because he realized that his donkey had saved his life. So the incident with the donkey and the angel left Balaam without any excuse for continuing to compromise the truth and continue on his journey with King Balak to Moab. But guess what? Balaam kept going anyway. I mean, this is how strong deception can be. I mean, you'll think you're right even when you know you're wrong. And, I, and when you deceive yourself, there's very little help for you. I mean, who's going to convince you that you're wrong? Nobody. And so uh, he never cursed God's people. But what he did do was tell the king how he could get them to curse themselves by fornicating with the Moabite women and worshiping the idols of moab that was a sin in god's eyes god didn't want the israelites to intermingle with the heathen nations for that very reason because them women would be strong enough to influence those men into not only fornicating with them but also to start worshiping uh, their idol gods and their demon gods and so israel caused themselves to get cursed but God's love and mercy provided a savior for Balaam, which was his donkey. And that donkey may be seen as a type or a prophetic symbol of Christ because that's what exactly what Christ did for us. Uh, he stood between us in the judgment, and he God saved us through Jesus. So God was showing patience with Balaam's pandering to Balak's three attempts to change the truth of God's word because that's what it was. It was pandering. And there's a lot of deception in our nation today. And I've said all of that just to get to this part of my message. People are exchanging the truth for a lie every minute of every day. They're calling good evil and evil good. And there's a lot of pandering, a lot of catering going on to certain parties and individuals just to appease them, to pacify them. And whether it's right or wrong, they're still doing it just to... Uh, appease these these people, but it's not working. I mean, there's pandering in the government. There's pandering in the corporate ranks. There's pandering in the sports world. There is pandering in the churches and amongst ministers and ministries in this country. Swapping the truth of God's word for a lie just so that they'll be accepted by the very people that are trying to destroy the church. And we have pro-choice ministers and pastors and they're advocating that abortion is a part of God's plan and they are leading their churches and their followers down a path of destruction and if you're a Christian especially a minister or a pastor and you believe that abortion is part of God's plan then I'm praying for your soul. There are a lot of different areas where the very elect these are the very elect of God, the called of God, the pastors and ministers and evangelists and apostles, I, I, the teachers, the, the five-fold ministers, the very elect of God are being deceived if it's possible, and it is possible. But, you know, I could, I could name them all, but I, I can't. I wouldn't be on Facebook very much longer if I did. But to make a long story short, I'll just say this. To every Christian, every pastor, every minister of God's word, every religious leader in a position of authority with influence over people, if you think God has changed his mind about anything in his word, then you are as deceived as you could possibly be. I know that might make you mad. And if it did, you can hit the off button and you could unfriend me. But if the word says something is a sin, it is a sin, and I'll believe God and let every man be a liar before I, I, I pander to anybody, and always has been and always will be. God hasn't changed his mind or position on any sin, whether it's Old Testament or new. God's word doesn't adapt to generations and cultures. God expects generations and cultures to adapt to his word. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Consume. you lucky I don't change, God said, or you'd be consumed. And Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And then Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the, son, neither the son of man that he should repent hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. If he said it, it's so. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. I don't care about anybody's opinion. If God says it, it's so. And if people persist in rebellion, then God gives them over to their own ways, but it will damn their souls. It is something that he's forced to do because he can't save people who persist in damning their own souls. God made the laws of sowing and reaping, and they're simply reaping what they sowed for themselves. They can't blame it on God. They can't blame it on the pastors and the teachers and the apostles and the priests. They can't even blame it on the church. Balaam never actually cursed Israel directly, but he led them into sin with his counsel And that caused the children of Israel to suffer a terrible plague and many, many died. He deceived God's people to fornicate with the Moabite women and worship their idols and false demon gods. And that's what brought a curse on them. And I'm telling you pastors and teachers and people, uh, religious leaders in authority, if you're not teaching the whole word of God, the truth, all of God's word, and you're changing anything in it, God will hold you accountable. They deceive themselves by rejecting the truth of God's word just to please their flesh. And that's exactly what's going on in our country today. If it feels good, bless God, I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody thinks. If there's personal gain in it and I can get richer by it and I can make my life better and more comfortable, even if it's against God's word and God's law, I'm going to do it. And it's exactly that thing that's going to get you cursed. I'm going to reject God's truth and vote for the politician that I feel will give me the most stuff and bring me the most comfort and the most peace. But let me tell you something. Balaam and the people that followed him didn't get away with it, and neither will anyone else. God punished those that took heed to Balaam's deception, and he killed all of those that heeded Balaam's wicked counsel uh, with a plague. And that's why God said that you're lucky I don't change because you would be consumed. And that's exactly what happened to them. But God eventually also allowed Balaam to be killed. And you know what's funny? Balaam died at the hands of the very Israelites that he led into sin with deception and got them cursed. Amen. I'm telling you, we're coming to a place in time well, you better know who you believe in, you better know why you believe in him, and you better have your answer ready before the question is asked. Uh, I, it's very easy to get deceived, especially if you've rejected truth, you're not walking in the truth, uh, you're not living in the truth, you're not obeying the truth, you're not obeying God's word. It's very easy for you to get deceived. Uh, and the ones that get deceived, the fascists, are are not the ones that don't know the truth they're the ones that reject the truth, that refuse to the truth and refuse to walk in the truth. So you can call this what you want tonight. You can call it a warning. You can call it baloney. You can call it whatever you want. I'm just telling you what I'm seeing. And, and it's too bad I couldn't tell you everything that I'm seeing, uh, at least not on this media platform. But uh, one of these days, maybe we'll be able to do it. But don't shy away from the truth. Don't shy away from God. Don't shy away from him that you believe in. Stand up for him. Be bold for him. Be as bold as the devil is. Be as bold as a lion, but wise as a, as a, a serpent and gentle as a dove. Amen. God bless you. I love you and appreciate you. Uh, I hope I gave you something to think about tonight. And I will see you on Sunday about 1045, 11 o'clock. God bless you.